Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and Corridor Aesthetics.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Today is Horticulture Day. I'm Charity Nebbe. It feels like winter today, but the time to plant your cool season crops like kale, spinach, cabbage, and more is just around the corner. Today, when and how to start those crops, and we'll also get some tips on how to start the growing season a little bit early as well. Dan Phileas, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist, is here. Hello, Dan. Hi there, Charity. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for being here. And this is that time of year where we are just itching to get dirt underneath our fingernails. So yes. <laughs> you're going to get people even more excited. It is time to <laughs> you, to make some plans about those cool season crops. So, so what should we be thinking about? Not this month, but for next month. Well, I think it is time to start thinking this month because if you want to transplant crops in say April when the when the conditions are really nice for them starting them indoors you know right about now is is when one would want to do that so let's say you wanted to plant kale uh, uh, jokes aside right uh, people who actually do want to plant kale and eat kale uh, would, who would want to have the in their garden that's a 30 day roughly to transplant crop. So when you can, when it's suitable outside in early April to plant it, back that up 30 days. And here we are right now wanting right to now. plant that indoors. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So if I want to start, look- <laughs> start kale inside, and I do yep. love kale, actually. I'm Me too. Me too. <laughs> That's good. There are real people who eat kale. Um, There's two of us. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do I need to do to, to start kale seeds or collards, the, those kinds of seeds inside? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, planting in uh, these transplants, they don't need much space. I, um, I, you know, I've, I've, it's hard to to say exactly how much, but, but like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, but you can start it in anything. It's a yogurt container, uh, 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 any containers uh, or something that's designed for starting seeds. Uh, Get some uh, potting media, uh, seed starting media. And plant those seeds not too deep. Uh, general rule of thumb for for any seed planting is to plant it no more than two times its longest dimension deep under the soil. And so a tiny little kale seed would would just go, you know, oh, at max a quarter inch in, into the soil. Cover that thing up, keep it well watered, and the most important thing is light. Uh, often people put it on their windowsill and these uh, transplants, they will just stretch, 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 trying to get light. So supplemental light is, is almost a requirement for starting any plants early in the household. And, and do this you could ha- be, a, yeah, go Do ahead. you have any secrets for making sure those transplants are good and strong? Because I mean, supplemental light, yeah. of course, is a big part of that because you don't want the leggy transplants. They're just yes, not going to transplant yes. well, but you seem like the kind of guy who might have a couple of tips. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's uh, if let's say you've just got a pair of fluorescent shop lights hanging around and you want to use those to start it. First of all, you want those shop lights to be as wide as the tray. If you just have like two bulbs and you've got a wide a tray that's like twice as wide as that, the ones on the ends of your tray are going to stretch in towards that light. So a, a, usually a four bulb, uh, you know, light fixture is better and you want to have that thing lowered right down if it's a standard t12 shop light right down almost touching the the um the tray and having it that like that before they even come up because uh if you have it if you wait to see the plants come up 
it is usually too late to ha- to lower it because they will already have started to stretch. So having it down there before they pop is is really important. And additionally, I I use like a like a clip on or oscillating fan or something to blow across there because that 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 the waves of wind you know going across there will will jostle them and cause them to be a stockier um plant with uh the, and and generally healthier stock like sending them healthy. to the gym all right <laughs> yes exactly so Make them work for it. right now we should be planting our collard and kale in in indoors to transplant early mm-hmm. april how about thinking yep. ahead to mid-april what should we be looking for yeah exactly some some tastier things maybe that people are that are, have a broader fan base head lettuce cabbage swiss chard these things uh are all 30-day transplants as well roughly um and uh then you another thing to think about planting for mid-april that would be better to plant now if you are a part fan of parsley that's more like a 45 day it takes longer to develop and onions are also something that it could go out in mid-april that is uh, is more like a it could be a 60 day so you should have already started um, your onions <laughs> yeah but you're not too late you can still get it in there and they you know if you if you you can plant out a younger one bare root if it's not fully holding all this, the media together with its roots. Um, so, yeah. Now, you also want to talk about strawberries and early yeah. season planting. Tell me about that. Yeah, this is something that uh, if you're thinking about starting strawberries for next year, for 2024, uh, the usually will sell the bare root uh, plants and ship these things early in the season. And so the the, the planting time is usually when it's cool, like uh, mid-April. So um, if you are plant, if you want strawberries for 2024, that would be and you're ordered and you want to get bare root ones. Spring planting is when you do that. And, you know, they they establish over that first year. You p- pinch off runners and flowers uh, for until they're really established. And then they, uh, they, they'll fruit in the second year. If you let them fruit the first year, they're, they're just not as it's not a great crop and they're not as vigorous to, to put in that energy for the next year. All right. So this is this is true planning ahead. If you have this kind of foresight, (laughs) it's a great time to think about your strawberries. And of course, then we get more to the, the time of year when we're planting a wide variety of things looking at early May. Yeah, early May, you can, uh, when outside transplanting would be, you can put broccoli and cauliflower out at that time. Of course, those are another 30-day earlier seeding. So early April, you'd transplant or seed those inside for a early May transplant into the garden. Um, and, And you want to wait till early May for these because these are crops that we eat the flower structure of, and they are sensitive to changes in temperature. They are, um, you know, triggered by cold to flower earlier. And so planting them later will let you get a, uh, the plant get established before it wants to flower and you'll get a bigger harvest. If you plant too early, you get what's called button heading in these crops and you get a tiny little, you know, florette uh, only from a, from your plant. And uh, let's say you want to plant annual flowers. Early May is a great time for snapdragon, status, feverfew. Um, and uh, those are those are ones would be like a 45-day earlier um, transplant. So starting those in uh, mid-March as well. All right. So if, if you are a person who starts seeds, this is a, can be a very, very busy, exciting time of year for you. Yes. Um, but I want to talk about direct seeded crops as well. When do we get to sure. start putting seeds in the soil outside? 
Well, I personally start going out there in mid-March. So next week, I, I, on a nice day, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to seed my first baby leaf salad greens and arugula. Um, I could seed spinach at that time also, but uh, <laughs> for those uh, you know who have, who have been listening for a while, you know that I am overwintering spinach. Right, your spinach is so already have, going strong. <laughs> it's already there. It's established. I will have another month or two of harvest from this spinach that I overwintered, and it is tasting so sweet with these with this cold temperature. Temperatures that we are having right now. Nice. Well, I'm glad you are enjoying them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And and some other seeds to be thinking about planting in April. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. When you get to April, then you can start putting a little bit more out. Some vegetables you can put out in early to mid-April are your peas, that uh, radishes, salad turnips, like a hawkeye turnip. Uh, beets, carrots, potatoes also are something to put out there, which I call direct seed, but you might someone could make an argument that that's transplanting. But um, talking about putting seed potatoes in the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some flowers that can direct seed early in that early April timeline as well are bachelor's buttons, uh, daucus, which is like that wild carrot. Um, Dara is a popular one that cut flower growers are growing. Uh, Buplurum and some like filler grasses from the wheat and triticale groups. Filler grasses. What do you mean by that? Oh, this is like, you know, not your focal flowers, but things that add interest to a bouquet. Uh, and, and it's just like the, the seed heads, like a wheat seed head that you can harvest and put and put in for uh, some you know vertical interest um, in a bouquet. OK, it's just a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're excellent at planting. You could also Dan. get this from a cover crop. Right, right. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. <laughs> Oh, you're just you're such a good planner. Um, And and I know that, as you just mentioned, you've been overwintering your spinach. So extending the growing season is one of your specialties. And you do have some great strategies to start this spring growing season early, probably not this year, but next year. What are some of the things that we might want to do if that's a challenge we want to take on? Well, a big challenge that people confront in this early season is that it can be too wet. You know, you've got snow melt or rain that that just continuously makes your garden wet. And so prepping the garden, especially if you rely on a rototiller to uh, till the soil, uh, is, is is put off and put off and put off until it's it's really warm and, and, and the soil can dry. So I usually prep my beds that I want to plant early in the fall and then I cover that with, uh, I use a silage tarp, uh, a thick uh, plastic tarp that is, uh, you know, used by dairy farmers traditionally. Um, but you could use any plastic really over the top or a tarp that will not let the water through. Um, and then in the spring when when I'm re- uh, ready to plant, I just fold back the little bit that I want to plant and plant into that area. And the other nice thing about that tarp is it kills any weeds that might come up, especially those ones that are uh, winter growing weeds like chickweed or um, purple dead nettle, things like this that are that get a really uh, they they love to grow in these wet conditions in the spring and can really take over. And by the time you might be able to get into the field otherwise. So having that tarp out there smothers them and allows you to have a clean planting surface uh, in the in the soil when you are ready to plant. And it prevents any uh, water from getting there uh, over the winter. So if you cover it right when the conditions, you know, the moisture is perfect in the fall, it'll still be like that in the spring when you fold it back. Nice. Now, you also are an advocate for cover crops in the garden. How how would that play into an early season? Sure. So a lot of times people who are using cover crops will sometimes, you know, they'll plant late 
plant maybe a winter rye because they want to maximize the season in the fall, you know, keep their tomatoes in. And by the time the tomatoes come out, then it's maybe too late to plant something. But if you can think through and plant something that is frost tender, like buckwheat or tillage radish or peas and oats, these things will winter kill. And then you can uh, usually just rake off the the mulch from the top of the surface and have a more or less clean uh, bed to plant into. All right. Dan Phileas, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety Newsletter. You can find out more at iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion including Above and Beyond Cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. It's Horticulture Day today. I'm Charity Nevy. And with me today, Dan Phileas, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. Aaron Style is also here, ISU Extension Horticulture Specialist. Hello, Aaron. Good morning. Lovely to have both of you here today. And of course, we already are getting a lot of questions and you can join the conversation with yours. You can call 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100, or you can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And uh, let's go first to Doug in Marion. Hi, Doug. Hello. Hi, what's your question? Okay, I have a lot of uh, work going on underneath my lawn. I think it's mold or gophers, and my lawn is just churned up, and it, it's very, very rough. My question is, uh, is it a good idea for me to roll it, or will that just pack the dirt in tighter? Yeah, it's it's not great to use like a heavy roller on your lawn. Your lawn already gets a lot of compaction from the weekly mowing and all of that stuff. Um, And it is something that you'll see available, um, you know, to rent or those kinds of things. But in reality, it's not great for lawns to to use them. Instead, to kind of help with this, um, core aeration can help some. So that's going to pull little plugs of soil up out, which sounds like it makes it bumpier. But then you can kind of rake it out or kind of break them up and it'll kind of help kind of more kind of level out the area a little bit more. And it'll kind of uh, aerate, which is something that most lawns need uh, anyway. And so that's probably going to be a better tactic, even though it sounds counterintuitive, than rolling it um, and causing compaction in the root zone. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. One of my favorite shows on the radio. Oh, Doug, thanks a lot and good luck. 866-780-9100 is the number to call or email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Carol is up next in Des Moines. Hi, Carol. Hi, love your show. I want to plant as much native as I can, and I see online that I can buy a thousand wild 
strawberry seeds, and I would like to plant that where I have grass. What are your thoughts on the germination and lifespan of wild strawberries that I would walk on periodically? Mm-hmm. So wild strawberry will tolerate part shade. Um, it probably won't bloom as well, and it might be just a little bit thinner than in full sun, but it's one of those uh, kind of ground cover uh, type plants that will do okay in, in part shade. Uh, are you planning to kind of interweave it with the grass, or are you hoping to replace the grass with the wild strawberry? Replace the grass so it would be planted between my numerous flower beds. Okay, so you'll definitely want to um, kind of figure out a way to either kill or remove the current vegetation um, and create a nice seed bed so that those those uh, wild strawberry seeds will will grow up um, and be able to germinate and grow well. Uh, the grass will be a pretty good con- uh, competitor for it, um, especially early on, and so getting rid of that grass will be really beneficial to getting a nice stand of this uh, established. I thought I would put down cardboard and then mulch, compost and mulch on top. What do you think? That will be fine, but it'll ta- that will be a several-week project. So um, most oh, of the time... Sure. We're most successful with that when we do it in the fall and then let it overwinter and plant in the spring. Um, If you're not willing to use herbicides, the other option is to uh, dig it out, um, which is a lot of of muscle uh, behind that, but uh, it will definitely remove the vegetation um, that way. Otherwise, I mean, most of the time you need at least four to six weeks to smother out something um, using that method. And you might be outside of the good planting range by that time. So you'll have to kind of, and, and doing it now will help you get a little bit of a start, but it really only starts killing plants once the plants are trying to grow. <laughs> so um, they're starting to come out of dormancy, especially our cool season grasses will start to green up here in the next couple of weeks, but maybe not grow so much. Um, and so that will be a good time to get started, but it will take several weeks to fully kill uh, underneath the cardboard and mulch. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot for the call, Carol. We've got a couple lines open for you right now. The number is 866-780-9100. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. And uh, here's one for you, Dan. Mike says, could you discuss cold frames and how early you can start moving starter plants into them? I'm growing hot peppers from seed again this year, and I'm hoping to get them acclimated as early as possible to maximize our relatively short zone five season. Sure. You know, putting these out, it, it, it ends up being counterintuitive to that, that putting them out earlier, it seems like you might get a longer season, but actually these peppers, when they're, when they're moved out to a situation that is not ideal for them and they really want it hot, they want it warm. So I would say, Late May, uh, start watching the, the forecast in mid-May, and, and, and if you see any temperatures that are below 50, really, uh, that's, that, that's a recipe for them, for those peppers potentially being stunted. And so cold frame, sure, you can extend that a little bit longer, but if you're going to be acclimating them and then planting them out, you don't really want to start acclimating them. You don't need to start acclimating them 
more than a week ahead of that time. So watch that forecast. And around the time when it starts to look, you know, uh, when you've got 50 degree nights and, um, and warm days, that would probably be an okay time to, uh, to, to put your peppers out there. But really mid-May to early June, you're, you're, you're usually good for, uh, for a season for peppers there. One thing I'll do to to make it even warmer is I'll lay down a uh, black landscape fabric or ground cloth um, on top of the beds, and that warms the soil and and radiates heat for those plants also, so that when I first plant, they they can really grow well. This is one of those situations where we're so eager that we might be getting in our own yes. way, right? <laughs> Yes, yes. (laughs) All right. Patience, Mike. I hope you have an amazing pepper season. Um, Here's a question from Chrissy. I bought some daffodils from Hy-Vee. They're in a small pot and starting to bloom. It looks like I have four bulbs. Can I plant them in the ground this spring or should I wait until fall? So um, most forest bulbs, in particular tulips and hyacinth, um, will not do well in your garden, even if you plant them after being forced. The one exception to this is daffodils. Daffodils usually do okay um, after being forced, which anything you see blooming right now is forced, um, planting them in your garden. Usually uh, the best thing to do for these, uh, most of us will struggle to hold on to them until fall. You can absolutely do that, though. Let them go dormant in the container and then kind of let them sit in a cool, uh, dry but not bone dry kind of situation and then plant in the fall. I have good luck uh, just planting them as, as I would a perennial in the spring. Um, the big thing to keep in mind is that they need to go much deeper in the ground than they are in the pot. So in the pot, the bulbs are just below the surface of the soil. You do not want to plant them that shallowy, like in that shallow of soil in your garden. Mm. Um, instead, you'll want to make sure they're a good four inches or six inches below the soil, which means you're going to be burying a lot. Um, and so often I'll make sure they go fully dormant and then plant them, even if that's kind of mid to late spring. All right. So you can set the pot outside as they, they go through that process to move to dormancy, yeah, and let right? The, let the foliage, yeah, let the foliage die back so that it can feed the bulb for next year. That'll be really beneficial. If you just plant them while the foliage is still green, most of the foliage will probably end up under the ground and then it'll just die and it won't be that as beneficial to the bulb. So letting them go a little bit dormant or all the way dormant before you plant them is is a good thing. And you can put them in the ground in the spring. They'll just sit there or you can hold on to them and plant them in the fall and that's okay too. I'm talking with Aaron Style and Dan Phileas, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialists. They are here to answer your questions. Give us a call at 866-780-9100 or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Jim from Colo says, I have a small unheated greenhouse. What should the soil temperature be when planting lettuce, spinach, beets, and carrots? Oh, the... That's a really good question. I, I, and I don't have a solid answer for, uh, for you about soil temperature for those things. They will, these are cold loving crops. And so you can, in an unheated greenhouse or high tunnel, um, you can plant these things now pretty much. They are, they, they are all able to take freezing temperatures, um, and thaw out and continue growing. So I typically start planting those things in mid-February or early March in a uh, in an unheated greenhouse, and uh, they'll, they'll they'll love it. I think plant now.
<laughs> All right. Um, here's a question from Haley. This one's a tricky one. We recently bought an acreage full of trees, some of which are Kentucky coffee trees. I heard that they're toxic to dogs and some livestock. We have dogs and hope to get livestock. Is there anything I can do that doesn't involve cutting down the trees? Yeah, apart from collecting the seed pod, it's mostly the seed pods that are problematic uh, because they'll fall on the ground. Apart from collecting the seed pods, um, the only other option would be to remove. You could replace them with male selections. So Kentucky coffee tree um, is dioecious. It has uh, separate male and female flowers on separate plants. And so if you select a cultivar, most of the cultivars are male because most folks don't love the pods. They're kind of a nuisance. So um, you can always replace them with a known male cultivar and then you won't have as much to worry about. Um, But other than that, it's going to be uh, collecting pods when they fall off. And <laughs> some dogs are more inclined to eat things like that than other dogs. So that's- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true. And, and, you know, the other part of this, too, is that hopefully, um, you know, hopefully they'll leave it alone because usually those things also taste terrible or they'll cause a lot of stomach upset and hopefully the first time they do it, if they end up doing it, they don't like go to town. Right. right. And so. Um, but some dogs are learn learners and, and some dogs are not, Aaron. So yeah, I that's, know, right? That's <laughs> I know. Tricky. That's why you'll have to make sure you pick up, pick up everything that they might get into. Well, good luck with that, Haley. That's a that's a frustrating problem. All right. Next up, let's go back to the phones. John is on the line in Fort Dodge. Hi, John. Hello. How are you guys? Good. What's your question? I have a, uh, a old rhubarb plant that was always producing very well. And a couple years ago, I had to cut down a big shade tree that covered it. And now it comes up in the spring, but it dies back right away. Is there anything? I, I, normally, they're in full sun, but this one grew up in shade. Is there anything I can do about it to bring it back? Yeah, that's an interesting situation. Um, rhubarb will tolerate some shade, but it usually grows much better in the full sun. I'm wondering if um, a little bit of fertilization this spring might be beneficial. Usually we'll put down fertilizer just as those like little alien cabbage-looking things are coming up out of the ground, <laughs> um, incorporated okay. into the top kind of layer of soil. Um, you can use your any any fertilizer will be fine. You know something that's uh, relatively you know like a ten 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 or something that has kind of uh, kind of lower numbers, not a lawn fertilizer, basically. Um, and if you wanted to use organic, that would work well too. I know a lot of folks who like to incorporate manure around their rhubarb, but remember this is an edible crop, so you need to make sure that you're composting that manure well, um, so that you don't run into food safety issues. But um, it is. I'm wondering, you know, rhubarb feels like one of those plants that just just d- goes and goes and goes, but it does benefit from fertilizer on a relatively regular basis. And so I'm wondering if that might be a good step to try this spring and see what happens. I agree with Aaron. When mm-hmm. I was growing it commercially, that was part of the annual chore was to was to fertilize in the spring. We'd put compost down uh, around the the them, and it it really likes a lot of uh, good nutrients. All right, John. Dude, does a plant ever, ever get old and just die out on its own? I mean, it is, it's probably over 40 years old. The, the person I live there remembers it being there when they were younger. So, You know, it might be beneficial to establish a new patch. Sometimes it's beneficial to dig and divide that as well 
that kind of can sometimes reinvigorate the plant. And you would do that at that same time, just as those, uh, as, just as it's coming up out of the ground is the best time to transplant, dig and divide, that kind of thing. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks a lot for the call, John. I can't wait for rhubarb season. Ushel is I on. I love <laughs> rhubarb. <laughs> Me too, Aaron. Me too. <laughs> Ushel is on the line in Mount Vernon. Hello. Hi. Um, I am going to be planting a vegetable garden with my kids um, this uh, spring, but we're looking at moving as well, so we're going to have to make it portable. And I'm just wondering if there's any like vegetables or herbs or anything that don't do well in pots. Hmm. Well, the things that do, you know, there are some, you know, th- there are definitely varieties that are bred for pots. If you know, th- there are many things that you can see in in catalogs around, you know, certain pepper patio peppers, patio eggplant. Um, and tomatoes that, that do great in pots. Herbs do typically very well there. You can grow salad mixes in, in pots. Those are, you know, lettuces, arugula. These things are pretty shallow rooted, generally speaking. Some things that might not do as well uh, would be tap rooted things like carrots, parsnips, um, maybe parsley. Parsley uh, and cilantro are also tap rooted, but you ha- can have some, some good success there too. Um, what do you? What are your favorite vegetables that that you're thinking about planting? I guess can we start there? Well, yeah, I was thinking of lettuce and greens mix, um, but I really want to do like onions um, and cucumbers. They like peas, um, and I used to eat green mm-hmm. beans like right off the plant when I was growing up, and so I'd like mm-hmm. to have that experience. Sure. You might have some success with 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 some of those beans, probably onions, definitely. Uh, cucumbers are a vining crop, and so they'll you know they'll they'll want to ramble, and they do uh, kind of root deeply also, and so they might struggle there. But uh, you could also, I mean, I I always like testing things out and, and doing, you know, experiments. And so I'd, I'd be curious to see if that would work with, with maybe a, a trellis that goes behind it for them to climb. And the same for peas. Okay. I think you could do that. And and you could even do peas uh, if you had like one pot and a trellis. You could try peas early. Those will uh, usually be done by around 4th of July. And then you could get a later planting of cucumbers. And maybe maybe that coincides within your moving. You do peas before you move and cucumbers after you get in your new spot. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot for the call and good luck with that project. That sounds like a big one. Um, Let's squeeze in one more question here. Linda says, I bought pre-filled starting trays at my local big box store, but the starter soil won't absorb the moisture. The water sits on the top and fails to soak Mm -hmm. in even after a day or so. What should I do? Yeah. Sometimes when that stuff gets really dry, it's very hard to re-wet. I would just buy a new bag of seed starting mix and use that instead. Often, those little pellets that come or the, the stuff that comes in those prepackaged things is not always the greatest quality. And so uh, just buy, you know, that $5, $6, $10 bag of seed starting mix and use that instead. All right. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back to answer more of your questions at 866-780-9100 or email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Aaron Style and Dan Phileas are here today, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialists. This is Talk of Iowa. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, 
and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day today, and you are welcome to join the conversation with your questions about all the things you'd like to grow or grow better. Give us a call at 866-780-9100 or email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. With me today, Aaron Style and Dan Phileas, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialists. And let's go back to the phones. Hal is on the line in Adele. Hi, Hal. Good morning. Hi, what's your question? Hey, a I, I, uh, couple questions. I have raised beds that I put in last year, and I used peat with the soil. And I, uh, so my question is, I'm having a hard time keeping them moist. I, I water them about every other day, but it seems that they dry out on the surface rather quickly. And the other is, the other question I have is regard chicken manure. I have chickens, and so I like to use manure. So how much of that manure can I put on there? I tried... Um, some horse manure a while back, and it just burned the crops. So I, I don't want to put too much on. That's a really good question. I would so as far as watering, any raised bed is going to not have the access to moist the big body of moisture in the in the landscape, and so it will dry out faster. But I wonder how long are you watering those uh, those raised beds for every couple of days? Um, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes because I have a number of them. I have about 12. And so I just, I walk down and water as I go and then I walk back and I do it two or three times so that each mm-hmm. bed gets about maybe three or four minutes of water mm-hmm. per bed. Mm-hmm. How, and do you dig down, have you dug down and looked, uh, into the soil profile to see how deep that water is soaking in? No, I have not. These are beds that are on the ground and, they're just raised up about maybe three feet. Uh huh. Uh huh. So it's full uh-huh. of it's full what? of dirt. Uh, I put a lot of compost down below, like cardboard boxes and some grasses, and in, in, in the bottom, and then I put dirt on top of that, and then I mix the, the peat in with that soil, thinking the peat yeah. would keep the yeah. water, keep the ground from getting yeah. from getting too dry. True. True. Peat is has amazing properties of soil of moisture absorbance. Yeah, you're totally right. So I think that. If you, I think you should water more uh, if you want them to stay nice and wet. And one, and it's hard to do that when you're watering with a, it sounds like you're watering with a wand or some sort of pistol grip um, sprayer at this point. And it's, you know, a person just uh, needs help to get those, uh, that work done. And so a sprinkler or a drip system of some sort um, would help you enormously. And you could conceivably leave a sprinkler on there for, you know, half an hour uh, in one of them and, and, and get, and, and that would, that would maybe um, soak the whole profile of of those boxes, and that would do well for the plants in there. They, um, you know, is, I, I'm talking. I'm assuming you're you're growing vegetable crops in there. Is this correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. They vegetables are so thirsty. They are. Uh, they they lose a lot of water, and so. I would I would start with a nice moist uh, profile and and keep it as 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 uh, not saturated but you know damp throughout the profile as you can throughout the season and a good uh, you know sprinkler or drip system will help with that. And now your second okay. question about the chicken manure, there's you know it's hard to know without knowing the exact analysis and uh, uh, but but uh, keeping generally speaking 
spreading the chicken manure at the time of planting will or any manure is going to more likely is going to be more likely to burn those plants so uh, maybe think about applying at a different time of year maybe in the fall and incorporate that and then and then cover uh with uh, with something to so that you and you're probably not going to get a lot of erosion out of these things but you could get nutrient leaching um and so covering with leaves or some sort of uh, tarp might be good to so that you don't leach a lot of those nutrients out um, but it gives some time for it to to incorporate and break down um, or, you know, spread it not right at the base of the plant. But if you've got, say, a one bed that is uh, that is tomatoes and is planted in just, you know, one row spreading, a, a, a you know, a foot away from there or so would 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 ha- be better than, um, you know, spreading it right at the base of, say, a lettuce plant or something like that. Okay, so I put that manure in the fall, and then I put grass on top. I incorporated it in the soil. Yes, and then I put grass. Yeah, you could grass clippings on yeah, top. Yeah, or leaves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think okay. that would be, that would be good, and and you could so use that. At this you point, could, I wouldn't. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I th- so um, what I was going to ask, I <laughs> we've got a delay. I'm sorry. So once I <laughs> you do go that, ahead. I shouldn't add any more. I shouldn't add any more chicken manure this spring then because I did it in the fall. Correct? Right. I would say, yeah, I would, I would hold that. And, and if you've got a compost pile to incorporate that into hold that for, for this fall, um, unless you've got a crop that is, that has, that can take some space and, and you can side dress maybe, uh, later on or a crop that is, you know, for food safety concerns, uh, crop that gets cooked, um, would be another one to consider putting that on and side dressing in the season with it. But Hal, again, yeah. leaving some distance. Sorry, go ahead. That's all right. I was just going to thank Hal for the call. That's a, I think we all learned a lot there. Hal, thank you so much for the call. <laughs> and uh, next up, let's go to Alex in Grinnell. Hi, Alex. Hi, how's it going? Good. What's your question? Um, I had a question. I just moved into a new place in Grinnell, and it seems like there's a lot of tree of heavens like around and I would like to plant some vegetables and have a garden, so I didn't know the best way of getting rid of all those. Yeah, tree heaven can be a little tough to get rid of, primarily because if you do remove them, they very readily sprout from the root system, and um, you often right. find them. They're also often growing in things like fence lines and some other things that make them even harder to get out. Um, but uh, they are definitely something that... Um, you'll just have to be really persistent with. Um, they have a huge seed bank and, and getting rid of them is, is a good idea just in general. Even if you weren't growing uh, vegetables, it is, it is a non-native. It is the favorite uh, host for the spotted lanternfly, which we've been hearing a lot about lately. It's not been confirmed in Iowa, uh, but it is something um, that, that that tree would be like chicken nuggets for that particular uh, species of insects. So, uh, getting rid of it is also beneficial that way too, um, but it'll be it'll take a lot of persistence. And all I'll right, add, so I'll just it sounds like you want to. And... <laughs> uh, Dan, why don't uh, you uh, add that... your comment there? Sure. Sorry, that delay keeps getting me, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, I uh, <laughs> I would say if you've got um, you know in the meantime you want to grow vegetables, uh, maybe this isn't the vegetable you want to grow, but in 
with shade in the summer, leafy greens are often uh, it's too hot for them otherwise. But if you if you're fighting these plants and 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 you've got some shade from them in, in the summertime, uh, a lettuce or le- other leafy green would maybe benefit from some shade uh, to so that it's not enduring that the heat of the summer. Alex, thanks a lot for the call. That's uh, something a lot of people struggle with. Casey uh, sent us an email from Decora and wants to know how to identify whether it's moles or gophers that are digging up their lawn and how to persuade them to leave without using anything poisonous. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Um, uh, you know, I'd have to do a little bit of research. Um, they definitely have different uh, uh, size um, kind of disturbances. Um, and the other thing, and I think we talked about this last week too, whether it's a mole or a gopher, um, the best thing to do for those is going to either be to live trap and remove, um, or to just simply trap. And, um, uh, there's probably not as many there as it looks. They, they do a tremendous amount of work. Um, but, uh, the, whether it's a mole or a gopher, the management will look very much the same. So um, I think uh, the exit hole looks a little bit different, but I cannot recall exactly what the difference is. So I'd have to do a little bit of research. We can endorse avoiding putting poisons into the environment. Yes. And and those, you know, a lot of us are really tempted, especially for things like moles and gophers, to use baits. And uh, they certainly are an option, not a great one, because of the potential for off-target kind of damage, if you will. Um, there are a lot of other things that could potentially get into that bait. You would have no idea, including pets. Um, and so it's it's not a great solution um, to use those bait kind of uh, uh, pesticides to, to get rid of these pests. But um, And that's why we often recommend either putting up with them or trapping and removing. Thanks so much for the question, Casey. Mo has a, another question, which sounds a, like a, a little bit of a mediator kind of situation here, but we'll we'll try to cover what we can. He says, um, my neighbor has built an ugly concrete retaining wall the length of my five-foot fence, nearly as high and only inches away so that no fill can cover the very rough base. They plan on putting a railing on top of the wall after the area is filled with soil this spring, complicated by property line issues that a surveyor is to clarify and by my concern about selling down the road. If the wall remains, I can easily plant to hide it, but my stronger concern is privacy since their backyard would overlook mine. I'm thinking a variety of fast-growing evergreens, different shapes, and no taller than 20 feet, kind of Japanese garden-inspired. Space is approximately 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. Good light, decent soil. Any suggestions? So, basically kind of hedge screening plants. Um, to look for. Uh, of course, uh, the first thing that comes to mind are some of the evergreens because they are green year round. Um, things like yews can definitely get to be that size over time. Arborvitae um, can also be an option. If you have a lot of deer pressure, both of those plants are very attractive 
um, and get frequently browsed by deer. Um, and so uh, that would be a challenge for, for those. The other thing I'll throw out there is that even though deciduous plants lose their leaves, if you get twiggy things, you still get some privacy. And you're also not outside in the winter as much as you are in the summer. And so it's not quite as uh, um, necessary, I guess. Uh, and so getting into some of like uh, the more columnar trees or some beautiful columnar oaks, um, there's a... Uh, some really nice columnar ginkgos. Uh, the oaks in particular would be really twiggy. Um, they also tend to hold on to foliage a little bit longer in the season. Um, there's one called Crimson Spire that is very nice. Uh, and so those can be options as well. I, I, I always want to make sure I point out for hedges that evergreen is not the only option for privacy. We can often get a, a an acceptable amount of privacy even with uh, twiggy shrubs and, and and those kinds of things too. All right. I hope that helps, Mo. Let's go back to the phone. Sue is on the line in Waterloo. Hi, Sue. Hi. What's your question? I had heard about the horse and the chicken manure just a little bit ago, and I was wondering about rabbit pellets and bedding. Is that safe to go on in the spring? And then the other part of it was the horse manure, if it's fresh right when you put it on in the fall, is it good in in the one winter, or does it have to sit a couple years before it's safe for the vegetables? Yeah, great question, Sue. In general, the you want to keep poop off food. That's that's the simplest <laughs> part of it, right? <laughs> and so I and and time helps uh, increase safety. And a winter is generally speaking. So for commercial vegetables, uh, the current guidance about that is uh, 90 days uh, for crops that are on or in the ground or 120 days for crops that, uh, uh, sorry, excuse me, 90 days for crops that are up off the ground, like a trellis tomato and 120 days for crops that are in the ground, like, uh, or on the ground, like watermelons or cantaloupe or carrots or something like that. So that, a winter does give you that time. Now there is some gray area and that's, that's for manure that is actually in the zone where the crop is going to be. But if you were to fertilize with say rabbit pellets in the spring, if you were to do that in a way that didn't contact the produce, but maybe was still accessible to the roots so that they could absorb the nutrients from that soil, that would be some middle ground way in which you could do that. And, um, and I and and it, many many growers do that. Many growers will spread manure in the spring, but still adhering to that ninety one hundred and twenty day rule. That's it's the rule of thumb for the organic for organic farms. And it's right now the FDA for there's a food safety law that they're adhering to that as well. Ninety days for crops off the ground, one hundred and twenty days for crops on or in the ground for contact with manure. The other nice thing about spreading in the fall is that you kind of greatly reduce the risk of some of that burning that might happen um, because it allows some of that excess um, ammonia in particular to be released into the atmosphere instead of being converted into like nitrates right away and, and burning roots or, or causing damage that way. It, so it kind of, in, in essence, mellows out the manure um, which is very beneficial in this situation too. It may not have quite as much nitrogen in it, but manure is not typically short on nitrogen. It's okay um, uh, to use it that way. And especially poultry and rabbit is probably closer to poultry than it is in terms of like its nutrient kind of 
the way it behaves than it is to like horse or, or cattle manure kinds of things um, is certainly, um, you know, letting it kind of mellow out is really good. And since we're talking about manure, the other thing I'll mention is uh, manure from um, swine and manure from um, dogs and, and cats and those kinds of things should not be used in a garden setting um, because it holds too much risk for um, uh, having foodborne disease-causing things in it. And I'll throw one last thing in there, and that is fall application of manure does run the risk of leaching or or or, or washing away to non-target areas. And so some sort of mulch on top of there is going to be a good practice or cover cropping to feed the cover crops. And we talked about some of those winter-killing cover crops earlier in the in, in the program, and those would be good uses here to, to, to lock in those... Um, the the nutrients and then and then mulch it as they die back. Sue, thank you so much for the call. And Dan and Aaron, you've convinced me that we need to do a whole show about manure here coming up in the near future. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> add that. Add There's that a lot to, to talk list. about. There is a lot to talk about. All right, we're going to squeeze in one on final question. Oh, you already wrote the headline. You <laughs> write in one final question here. Uh, Lisa in Ames says, I sheet mulched a portion of my grass lawn in the fall. When I go to plant this spring, mostly perennials and some annual flowers, should I remove the mulch and cardboard first or cut directly through the layer of the sheet mulch and plant that way. I would plant right through it. That's no what I problem. do. All right. That should keep the weeds down. Yes. All right. Aaron Style, thank you so much. You're welcome. And Dan Phileas, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. Aaron Style and Dan Phileas, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialists. We will be back again next Friday with Horticulture Day here on Iowa Public Radio. Talk of Iowa is produced by Caitlin Troutman, Samantha McIntosh, and Danny Gear. You never need to miss an episode. Look for our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Talk of Iowa or Garden Variety. And I also want to put a shout out, out for technical support from Steve Cooper today. This is Talk of Iowa. I'm Charity Nebbe.